everyone. My name is Michelle and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today, my husband Frank is back on the podcast and we're talking about the movie Fever Pitch. Hey, Frank. Hey, Michelle. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure. So a few things about this movie. It was released in April of 2005. It's directed by the Farrelly Brothers. It's based on a book written by Nick Hornby, screenplay written by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. It stars Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon. The IMDb.com summary is, Lindsay is stuck in the middle of her relationship with Ben and his passion for the Boston Red Sox. It has a 6.2 on IMDb, and it made around $50 million at the box office. Okay, Frank, let's get right to it. What would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? I gave this movie a 7.3, which was actually a little bit higher than I thought it would be coming into this. Okay. 7.3, that is a little bit higher than I thought that you would give this movie as well. I'm coming in pretty high. I'm coming in at an 8 for this movie. That's, that's, (laughs) that's, wow. I know. I I have a little bit of a personal relationship with this movie, but uh, I usually ask the question, why did you choose this film to talk about? But it's on me this time. I'm the one who wanted to talk about it. But for you, what's your relationship with this movie? Well, first of all, Fuck Boston. <laughs> Oops, I had a little bit of phlegm there. Well played. Uh, I'm not a Boston fan, and I'm also not a baseball fan. So it was pretty amazing that I enjoyed this movie this much. This was actually a movie that you introduced to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was after we got married. Uh, you kind of forced me to watch it. <laughs> but I, I found it very enjoyable the first time. And when you asked me to do this podcast, and I rewatched it again, it was enjoyable the second time. Mm-hmm. This is not something that I would pick up off the shelf to rewatch, but when forced, I found it pretty, pretty fun. So you're saying that this movie to you doesn't have a high rewatchability factor? No, it doesn't. I don't generally like to rewatch movies, period. Yes. But I think there are certain movies that when you watch multiple times, you learn new things. This movie for me isn't something that I learn new things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so... One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this movie with you is because, yes, while you don't like baseball and neither of us like Boston, you are someone who is very passionate about tennis. So I thought it'd be a good, I don't know, way to pick your brain to understand this world of fandom and sports and all that jazz. So I'm sure we'll get into it. But yeah, my relationship with this movie is a little bit unique slash specific, I would say. I happen to be in school in Massachusetts at this time, in 2004 to 2005. So I feel like I witnessed history when the Red Sox won the World Series. I actually feel like there are many people in the world that are like Ben Reitman, the character that Jimmy Fallon plays. Like, they're real. I experienced them firsthand. Firsthand? Firsthand. When the Boston Red Sox won, there were celebratory riots on campus, and I was like, what's going on? As someone who comes from the New Jersey, New York, this was very, very foreign to me, this, I guess, drought in sports baseball history. Yeah, we grew up with the Yankees winning a lot. Exactly. So it was very new to me, and I kind of got swept into Red Sox Nation. So baseball was something that I was really actively watching at this time. I had a Nomar Garcia Para, Garcia Para. I don't know why I can't say his last name. <laughs> Nomar shirt. 
he was a shortstop, I believe, on the Red Sox. That's right. Yeah, he was compared to Derek Jeter very often. Yeah, and he just wasn't quite as good or quite as remarkable, I guess. Sure. He might have been as good technically, but he just didn't win. Yes, but like the thing about Noma, I had the shirt and it spells his name N-O-M-A-H. So I'm sure I have that shirt somewhere. Okay, so 7.3, what are some things you like about this movie? It's a pretty straightforward movie. Uh, In my rom-coms, I really don't like excessive amounts of conflict or misunderstanding. Yes. For some reason... Misunderstandings give me anxiety. Yes, they really do. You, I've seen you physically cringe or like wince or even leave the room sometimes when there's so much or too much conflict. And in, in this movie, there's not a lot under the surface. Everything's laid out. Mm-hmm. Everything, there's great exposition. I feel like the character dialogues are just extremely open. So there's no confusion about what's happening. The conflict is very pure. It's like these forces are playing off of each other and it's there for every every viewer to see plainly. And that straightforwardness is something that I, I like a lot. Mm-hmm. It might actually take away from like its ability for the ability for the movie to be great, but I think it makes the movie very good. Okay. Yeah, I personally really like the directness and the straightforwardness of this movie, which for me is probably a reason why it's a highly rewatchable movie is because I don't have to think too hard. I can really just have it on in the background while I'm doing work and not be moved to tears or like highs. And I just know what what's happening. Mm-hmm. For me, I really like Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon. I love them as individuals. Love might, love might be a strong word, but I really enjoy them as individuals. And I think you bring those two likable people together. It's just an equation for even more likability. That's fair. Jimmy Fallon is this really likable man boy, and I feel like he's just playing himself, maybe on a more exaggerated level, because he just seems so earnest and silly and goofy and really wholesome, I guess. Um, You mentioned you not liking the sport of baseball, and I'm not particularly a really passionate fan of baseball, but I did find it, as I mentioned, really, really easy to get swept into, That said, I think this movie does romanticize the sport really well for me. Ben Reitman tells Lindsay, who's played by Drew Barrymore, that he has this summer family. He fell in love with like the smells, the sights, the sounds, and I bought into it. When I went to my first baseball game at Yankee Stadium, I was like, I know how Ben feels. It feels very grand. It does. I I guess I don't identify with the sport of baseball because not a lot of things happen. Yeah. And... For me, my fondest memories are participating in events where I'm with people that I care about. And I guess there's nobody that I really care about that much who also likes baseball. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no like familial bond for me. It's right. There's no nostalgia. I was never ever going to be allowed to purchase an overpriced hot dog or ice cream and a hat or Cracker Jacks that were $4 a box. That just wouldn't be allowed in my household, even if we had gone. Yeah, you'd sneak in the snacks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cargo shorts were in back then. We would totally figure something out. Totally. Um, So, yeah, just for me and my household, it just wasn't a thing. Yeah. I mean, baseball wasn't really a thing either. Like, I grew up in Chicago. So, for me, I grew up on, like, Bulls and the Bears. And, you know, the Cubs also weren't winning. Neither were the White Sox. So, but one more anecdote from my personal you know, this moment in time from my my youth, I guess. 
so I, I went to school in Massachusetts, but then I really, really did not like it there. I think if I'm being honest, Red Sox Nation had something to do with it. It was just so aggressive. And I was like, these people are a little insane. Like these riots that we went to, there were cars being flipped and these were in celebration of the Red Sox winning. Also, the Patriots won the Super Bowl when I was there at school. And so there was another uh, celebratory riot. And I still remember people chanting like, Jeter sucks at the Pats riots. So like they just clearly just hate all New York things. Um, So then after I left Massachusetts, I came to school in New Jersey. And at that time in 2004, 2005, Chin Ming Wong was one of the starting pitchers for the New York Yankees. And I'm sure you know, Chin Ming Wong was, I think he's the first Taiwanese pitcher for the Yankees. Sounds about right. It was a really, really big deal at the time. Yeah. I saw a little bit of myself in Jimmy Fallon's character, Ben. Mm. And maybe if I hadn't met you when I did, mm-hmm. things might have turned worse oh, no. for me throughout my life. But I, I, I maybe that subconsciously there is an element there of like, how, how deep can fandom go before it turns into fanaticism mm. when it completely takes over your life? So I, I think they did a good job of balancing out. Balance is maybe not the right word, but they show how obsession can become debilitating to some degree and how can it impede on your personal life. Mm -hmm. So I think if we're looking for something deeper than, you know, the superficial conversation about love and sacrifice, yeah, there's, there's an exploration of fanaticism that I think is applicable beyond sports. It happens with sports teams a lot. I think that's what we see very often, but the movie touches on workaholism and it, it's probably applicable to a number of different areas as well. So it takes that, it generalizes it, and it applies it to relationships in a pretty identifiable way. Yeah, sports psychology is really fascinating to me. And I really can't figure out why I find it so fascinating. Like when all these sports documentaries come out, I'm like, Frank, we got to watch this. Yeah, there's, it's <laughs> for me, for someone who doesn't play sports, the fact that you are so... You really wanted to watch Jordan, the Last Dance, the Last Dance, yeah, on Sundays. And we're, we're live, like, yeah. And I was like, it's fine. <laughs> I think I just like a peek behind the curtain. I want to understand what drives people and how success makes them who they are. And I think if I'm being totally honest, like success isn't all it's cracked up to be, right? So you might have this mantle of trophies, but then I feel like usually and naturally there might be other gaps in your life outside of the sport yeah that is what's fascinating to me okay so let's talk about some things we don't like about this movie i don't really have anything that i don't like it's more that this movie isn't exceptional in any particular way Mm -hmm. it's not it's not a great film it doesn't make me have these feelings that i didn't know i had before you know a 7.3 is good it's very good yeah it's really high it's just not great Sure. And that's really the only knock that I have. Do you remember what rating you gave Definitely Maybe? Higher than a 7.3. I think you gave it like a 9. I think I gave that a 9 because, or whatever I gave it, it's because it explores many complex layers and relationships mm-hmm. and you learn something new. You know, when you rewatch the movie, not just about the characters, but also about yourself. Yeah, that's that's really true. I think when this movie came out in 2005, which is over 15 years ago at this point, and then fast forward to me watching it, you know, recently with you, there's not a whole lot of growth that I've, mm-hmm. that occurred. Or it's like, oh, any kind of specific realizations about love or life or stuff like that. 
But yeah, it's it's predictable, of course, which is fine for me. I actually don't have that many things I don't like about this movie either. I just found myself thinking, like, is Jimmy Fallon good in this movie? Like, I, I know I said I like him, but I think there's a reason why Jimmy Fallon never explored a, a longer movie career. He's fine, you know. He's been fine. But re-watching him in this movie, I was like, I'm glad he's not making movies, I guess. I don't really have a problem with how he, he acts. I think he plays his character very well. And the, the movie itself actually has a bit of an SNL vibe to it. The way that it cuts to different scenes. like Yeah, like very skit-y. Yeah, it's sketchy. Like, sketch-oriented. Yeah. I don't know if that was like an intentional part of the directing or not. I, I didn't expect for a movie like this to have exceptional reflections of like acting sure. capability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did his job. Sure. I appreciated it. Yeah, you kind of probably know what you're getting yourself into on an emotional level mm-hmm. when you see who's in the movie and the Fairley brothers who directed There's Something About Mary. But just a, another side personal anecdote is that, and I've shared this before on the podcast, and you know, obviously, is that I met Jimmy Fallon once in the Hamptons a few years ago. Oh, yeah. I do. I do know that. Yeah. And he was just as delightful in person as he appears to be on screen. So just, you know, a weird soft spot for Jimmy Fallon, I guess. Uh, Let's move on to themes. Yeah. What do you got? So three things uh, come to mind. Number one, having things that you care about in life definitely leads to a sense of joy and excitement. Like passions are important. Hmm. Number two is passions that reciprocate are probably more important than passions that don't reciprocate. Mm. And then the third theme is just about sacrifice. And this is kind of a key tenet of love and what you're willing to give up for someone that you care about. And I think this movie makes it, I think that the script makes it very clear where it stands about sacrifice. Mm. So those were three themes that I thought were pretty cut and dry. And um, yeah, I like how they, they portrayed it. Yeah. In terms of the themes that I took away, it's a very specific one, I think. It, it's mentioned in the movie a few times where Lindsay and Ben are like, oh, this brings me comfort. This brings me safety. I know what I'm doing when I'm mm. at this place. And so I think in a relationship, it's important to know what the other person finds comfort and safety in. Oh, okay. It's like understanding another person's quote-unquote love language? Yeah, I think so. But then also, like, specifically by the movie, Lindsay thinks she knows and understands Ben's passion for the Red Sox at the mm-hmm. beginning when they start first start dating. And then she's like, oh, wow, this is really intense, actually. But it's not until she has her own come-to-Jesus moment when she gets her promotion at work. And she's like, oh, this is what this is to Ben. Work is this to me, and this is the equal of what the Red Sox means to Ben. I see. When she gets the promotion, I don't think she's actually thinking that the promotion and work is equivalent to the passion that that Ben has. Sure, but I think it helps her realize that work is also her comfort and safety net. Oh, yeah. And that the Red Sox are Ben's comfort and safety net. The familiarity theme? Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a favorite scene? Uh, My favorite scenes are all around the the four friends of of Lindsay mm-hmm. those actually felt like the SNL sketches to me mm-hmm. they all felt like these little like intermezzos during the movie that they're all working out it's like yeah they dis- they're always working out <laughs> they, it's like they discovered class pass before everybody else did way ahead of their time 
And every time it's just like slightly inappropriate friends. Yeah. And I like how they're all very, they're, they're all like, not stereotypical, that's not the right word, but they're all like a little bit typecast. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have Lindsay and then you have the one that's allegedly competing against Lindsay mm-hmm. and also Rich and these two other friends that just say things that they're not like wildly inappropriate. They're just like inappropriate enough that you wouldn't expect a friend to say those things like they're just brutally brutally honest yeah and it's just like so naturally done that you just like one of my favorite uh lines was like are you really that rich and just like yeah it's like how come you don't dress better that's like wow yeah i don't i don't think i could say that to my best best friend try it no <laughs> Um, but yeah, that scene was great. The other scene where uh, one of them gets punched in the face yeah. for potentially telling the truth. Yeah. Uh, I was like, wow, she deserved to get punched in the face. But like all these, they just come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I think those those were some of my, my favorite comedic scenes. Th- the dramatic scene, I think, is the ending, which, I mean, it's a little bit cliche, but I'm pretty sure that that triggered the most emotion from me I would say, obviously. Yeah. But... Um, uh, you cried. Yes, I did. And there's no shame in that. <laughs> no it's, shame! It's... I just didn't see it coming. I, I didn't see it coming either. It just... I was like, oh, I'm not feeling anything. I'm not feeling anything. Up, up, up. There it is. When was that moment? The delivery of the line when Lindsay says, uh, you love me enough to give up your Red Sox tickets. Mm. Uh, I love you enough to not let you mm. give up your tickets. Or some, something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly it. And it's just like, oh my God, that's so... That's ugh. love. Yeah, but it's like, I could have written that. <laughs> Drew Barrymore did a great job there. And Jimmy was just... Being like, Jimmy? T- being Jimmy, right? He was like, oh my God, what's, that? what's, what's happening? <laughs> so I think that hit. I, I don't know why, yeah, but yeah. it hit. No, I totally get that. There's sometimes when things I've seen a million times, I'd never get an emotional response. And then I see it one time and you're like, why is this hitting me so differently than all the other times? I totally get it. Did you get emotional during that scene this time? I didn't get emotional at all watching this time, um, but I've definitely gotten emotional. The other times I've gotten emotional besides the ending are actually when Ben goes back to Lindsay and tries to win her back. He thinks that she's on a date with that handsome coworker. Oh, right, right. And he's like, you know, I love you. I want to make this work. We thought you got pregnant. He was like, I actually got really excited. And he went and bought a baby onesie. And he's kind of like breaking down at that point. And I I've, have gotten emotional in the past. Oh, that's that's interesting. I haven't thought about that scene as, as hitting mm-hmm. home. I guess it also depends on like the mental state each of us are in while we watch a particular totally. movie. So in that scene that you mentioned, Lindsay says, I got so hurt. And when that happens, something just shuts off. I'm sorry. And I can totally see that just like cutting mm-hmm. so hard. But it's also like, it goes back to like Lindsay's character, which is why I like Lindsay's character so much. Mm. She's really good at articulating her feelings. She is. She's very good at articulating her feelings. Unnaturally good, I would mm. say. And that's one of the things why I like this movie. Because everything's out in the open. But, like, nobody in real life is capable. Not that I shouldn't say no one is capable. Most people in real life do not have the emotional maturity or the confidence and awareness to say something that's, like, that's a really powerful thing to say. Not when you're trying to hurt somebody, but it's mm-hmm. like, 
a lot of people would just not take that route and just like cut it off yeah. in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm nodding. Yeah, totally. I hear you. So that while that wasn't a scene that I liked. Right. It's just a very, for me, powerful. a very memorable. Yeah. Very memorable. So upon this rewatch, one of the other scenes that really jumped out at me, which I've never really thought about much before, is the scene in the park when Ben asks Lindsay to go to opening day. And I mentioned this earlier. This is kind of the moment where Ben comes out with his truth about his love for the Red Sox and the romantic feelings he gets about the team. And then Lindsay, again, yeah, she's just so accepting. And she's like, I get it. You have a lyrical soul. You're a romantic. I would say that's really Lindsay's only blind spot, which is... She thinks she can change him or that she's okay with something that maybe she knows deep down she's not. Right. I think it's, for me, from watching this movie, I don't get the vibes that Lindsay's trying to change him. Fair. You're right. You're right. And I think that maybe it's more of Lindsay thinking she can live and accept mm. fit. But yeah, yeah there's there comes a tipping point where she even says, like, Grandma, don't die because Tampa is playing on Saturday or something like that. You know, like, yeah, that would be a little insane. I do kind of wonder, so this this comes to like fanaticism. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can switch off your fanaticism. Thousand percent agree that you cannot. So this is maybe the part that it's not a WTF moment. Mm -hmm. It's just more of the concept of summer Ben versus winter Ben. Mm -hmm. Like Lindsay fell in love with winter Ben. And she's like, when spring and summer come around, then, you know, I don't like that one. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, you can't help but let your fanaticism shine through at almost any opportunity. Like, even if it's in the off-season, especially nowadays, like trade deadlines, um, hypothetical scenarios, social media. Granted, Ben's not on social media, I guess, because he doesn't own a cell phone. Yeah. But, like, you start seeing the fanaticism irrespective of what season it is. Yes. So. I know. Even when it's not soccer season or tennis I guess tennis is kind of in season all year round. Yes, both soccer and tennis have some of the shortest off seasons out of all the professional sports. Yeah, so I feel like I've witnessed quote unquote fanaticism on a first hand basis with you. Like you've done some, in my opinion, some like crazy things. Like you'll wake up in the middle of the night to buy tickets for an event that's happening in a different time zone. Well, we were going to travel there, so we had to have tickets. So I don't think that's unjustified. But I will say, I don't think I've ever told you this before, mm -hmm. but during college, I, I didn't have a great sleep schedule. But separate from that, when the Australian Open was on, I would have I would ask my roommate, who had the only TV in his room, to take the TV out of his room with the cables coming from his room, and it was set up outside of his room. And I would wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and sit outside of his bedroom watching the Australian Open on mute. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. But Frank, we've stayed up till three o'clock in the morning to watch tennis matches in the Australian Open. I mean, staying up to watch a tennis match is different than waking up to watch a <laughs> tennis match. That's two different things. Uh-huh. Okay. Anyhow, that's a total segue. Please yeah. continue. We'll talk more about that later. Um, okay, so another favorite scene of mine is a very small moment, and you alluded to this earlier, is the scene at school when Jimmy's talking to the boy, he's getting ready to bat at baseball <laughs> practice, and the kid, this very precocious, kind of gawky little kid chewing gum, he's like, all right, Mr. Reitman, let me leave you with this one thought. You love the socks, but have they ever loved you back? 
it's funny because it's coming from this young, young child, but you're like, oh, wow, he's so right. It hits a little differently. Yeah. What has Roger Federer ever done for me? Yes. And we've traveled the world to see Roger Federer. I wonder if it was all worth it. (laughs) It's worth it if it makes you happy. I also really like that he was a really gawky teenager. Yeah. But he also had a very deep voice. And that just made it all the more awkward. (laughs) That's such a specific thing that you observed. Okay, let's talk WTF moments. Plot holes and most unrealistic moments. Do you want to start? Yeah, I think the main one for me is when Lindsay gets food poisoning and lets Ben into her apartment. Yeah, for the first date. Like, you met this guy with a bunch of kids. He's a little bit wacky. Seems like he's got a good heart. Could be a serial killer. Mm. You're basically incapacitated in a reduced physical state. And you just let him in. Yeah. Like, this doesn't seem like a smart person functioning. Absolutely. I a thousand percent agree with you. And I was actually just... As you were speaking, this this thought popped into my mind is that do people go to each other's apartments to pick them up on first dates nowadays? I don't think so. I think everyone just meets at a neutral location, which is kind of... Safer. Well, that's the whole point is that it's safer. Like, you know, I'm going on a date with this guy for the first time. I don't want him to know where I live. Yeah, stalkers. Absolutely not. Yeah, he's always meet at a neutral location for the first date. Oh, and he changed her. Yes. Like, no, that's not... I mean, yeah, I don't think we're meant to question the the motivations of Ben because he seems so honorable from the beginning, but real world scenario, this does not fly. No. Okay. So at the end, Lindsay falling off or she she, jumps off, she jumps off the green monster and she breaks the heels of her shoes, but that's about it. She kind of winces in pain a little bit, but no way. She like sprains an ankle. I know what it is. So what they probably didn't show in the movie is Lindsay also does parkour classes. Oh, okay. So in addition to cycling, rock climbing, and boxing, boxing. Yes, she does parkour. Okay, fine. One thing, and I've kind of talked myself out of this WTF, but I'm still gonna say it anyway. The scene when Lindsay gets hit by the foul ball and she's like concussed, and then we see Ben like just be excited that the person sitting next to her caught the foul ball. And not tending to Lindsay's needs or being any kind of concerned of her her state of health. Yeah, no, that would not fly if that were me and if that were you. Well, I mean, there's there's something to be said for him maybe not knowing. Sure. It could have bounced off the seat. Yes, okay, okay. But even in the immediate following scene where she's like, you know, I don't want to, I don't think I should come to the games with you anymore. Oh, she that's just... totally unreal. The fact that she lets him off the hook while seeing that on TV... That part is unrealistic. Yes, totally. Okay, so this is a random question. Towards the end again, one of Lindsay's friends, Robin, her husband wants to buy Ben Season's tickets for $125,000. And I guess, I don't know if you know anything about Season's tickets, but does that sound about right? I have no idea, but I wouldn't be surprised since those are like basically dugout seats and there's a waiting list. So what you're essentially paying for isn't the tickets themselves but the rights to purchase the tickets and you're paying to jump the line Mm. i guess my very limited understanding of season's tickets is that i thought you have to re-up every year it's not like a lifelong membership oh that's absolutely true the 125 is a one-time fee to purchase the tickets every year through ben but he saves those seats he's not technically transferring the seats to that other dude 
he's going to just buy the tickets every year or charge this other guy the cost of the tickets every year. The $125,000 is to bypass the line. Because hmm. if he were to surrender those seats for Lindsay anyhow, if you technically surrender them, they go back to the team and the team assigned like they'll make it available to whoever's next in line okay so, yeah so my question for you is and i know this is not apples to apples but let's hypothetically just bear with me here mm-hmm. let's, let's play this exercise out the u.s open in queens every year let's say there were seasons tickets for really really good seats what you deem to be really good seats oh yeah behind the baseline behind the baseline i know you don't like to sit on the i don't know what's the word the <laughs> I'm, side? I'm gesticulating yes. a lot would you pay $125,000? No, I don't have $125,000 laying around. So no, I wouldn't. Would you pay an exorbitant amount of money to secure those seats every year to see whoever you wanted to see? I don't think I would. Because I my fanaticism follows the career of a particular person whose career isn't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Right? The U.S. Open itself, the tournament doesn't mean the same thing to me as following around a specific person and watching them play. Mm -hmm. So for me, the value would come in being able to like follow somebody around and get the seats at the place where they're playing, not necessarily a particular tournament. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different. Okay. Yeah. Again, not apples to apples just because the nature of the sport is different. But I guess I just wanted to understand, would you pay that much money to be close to something that you love and revere. No, I, I think I would actually, if I had $125,000 laying around to dedicate toward my fanaticism, what I think I would do is donate to his charity. So by the way, I'm a Roger Federer fan in case if you, you haven't if noticed. You don't know, <laughs> I, I would donate to a charity for the opportunity to play like an hour with Roger. Mm. I think that is like... You can't, you can't actually pay to be on the field and, like, train with the Red Sox. I don't think that's, like, available. Mm-hmm. But for tennis players, since it's a one-on-one sport and they have all these charitable causes, if you have enough credit card points, I think you can, you can get some of these perks. Hmm. Um, and if you make large enough donations to their foundations, you can get some of these perks. I would hope $125,000 buys you more than one hour with Roger Federer. I- Maybe it's Roger Federer plus Bill Gates at the same time. Oh my goodness. Play doubles with Roger and Bill. That's pretty cool. Well, then who's your partner? I would want to play against Roger. I don't want I don't want him on my team. You want to play him. I want I want to feel his shots. I want to make him run. I, I want to chase his balls. The way you said I want to feel his shots felt very yeah, that's, intimate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, okay, I was going to go really deep into do you want to? No, it's unnecessary. I'm fighting the urge. It's unnecessary. Okay, okay. See, this is what I'm talking about when you can't hide your fanaticism. Hmm. Like, Lindsay would have said something incorrect about the Red Sox at some point. Mm-hmm. And Ben would have felt extremely compelled to go into a really deep explanation. Well, explain- it's, it kind of plays out a little bit in the movie. I think for like... We are the audience who might not know the history of the Red Sox, the Yankees, but there's that one moment when Lindsay's like, uh, do you believe in this... Curse of the Bambino. Curse of the Bambino. And that's kind of like the exposition in like sharing this history of the Red Sox. So Ben does... I think... I'm not sure if this is correct, but he's a little embarrassed that she doesn't know what any of this is because she's being so loud and vocal and like the Summer family are like, wow, she's she's not very smart, this one. I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't hide that off season. Even mm-hmm. in the off season, this is going to come up. I think that's sure. where 
some of the conflict would come up before the season actually starts. That's but fair. That's huge digression. Yeah. Is there anything else to add about your thoughts on the ending? It's a really interesting ending, uh, not because of how it was a happy ending, but how it transpired during a season where the impossible actually happened. Yes. This was like right place, right time. As a part of my trivia, they had to rewrite the script because the Red Sox started winning. I don't think that that was the original ending. When they were making the movie or wrote the movie, they didn't expect the Red Sox to actually win. So that, I think, is a stroke of kismet. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly satisfying. They fall in love. They make this huge sacrifice for each other. And the Red Sox win the World Series. I'm really wondering what the script was if that hadn't yeah, happened. Originally. Like w- running onto the field, would would they still have had that scene? Mm. Would they? Because they were filming during the playoffs or something, right? Filming during the playoffs, and then I think because they were able to, like the last final scene is them storming the field when they win the World Series. Also, oh, oh. so I think they just used the footage the cameras got, and they just quote unquote like played the mm. characters they were. So they got that kind of footage. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's sad because Jimmy's not not actually a Red Sox fan. Mm-hmm. But if he were, that would be like, I mean, how could yeah. you not just explode with joy that totally. you, you get to run onto the field with your team when they win the World Series for the first time in like a century? Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope some of the crew who are making the movie were were fans of some sort. Like that's got to be once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. Well, they've also they've won. The World Series. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, since they're... then, um, you talked a little bit about how much you like the character of Lindsay. Yeah. What else do you like about her? Like, what makes her so likable to you? She's an extremely reasonable and accommodating person, and I want to make the distinction here because I think one of her friends called her. Uh, she's being colonized. Yes. Right? And even though Lindsay's buying books to learn more about the thing that Ben is a fan about. It doesn't feel like she is losing her sense of self. Mm -hmm. She's intentionally taking interest in the thing that her significant other has a really big interest in. Mm -hmm. So, Colonize, sorry to cut you off, but colonize, I'm assuming, by definition, is probably against one's will, right? My interpretation of it is that it's a a subconscious loss of your identity. Okay. That's how I'm I'm thinking about it. Sure, sure, sure. Like, for example, in Star Trek... Oh. The Borg. I don't watch Star Trek, but please continue. <laughs> yes, I, I'm a fan of a lot of things. Star Trek isn't one of them, but I know enough about the Borg. When they colonize a species, they lose their, their identity, mm. and they just become part of this Borg. So when I hear uh, Lindsay's friends talking about it, that that's how I'm, my brain is, is thinking about it. Yeah, you're saying that Lindsay's doing this on her own free will. Yeah, it's intentional. She's right. trying to find someone that's different from her, and she's making a big effort to, to learn more about sure. it. And that's like super endearing. Yeah. And I feel like she's already sacrificing. Like, even though she says at the end, like, what have I ever sacrificed for Ben or something like that? Mm. She sacrificed a lot. She was bringing her work to games, mm-hmm. working on her laptop. She was, her schedule was working around all, she was so understanding. Yeah. Like, she's super reasonable, she's articulate with her feelings, says exactly what she wants, she finds compromises so Mm. that it's a win-win for everybody, like... She has a very healthy perspective on this whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think this is how the movie was intended to be written, like, Ben's supposed to be the pretty unreasonable character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
but as a female protagonist, I I think she's the catch. Her friend said, you know, Ben, what's his deal? There's got to be a reason why he's single. And I think Lindsay's by far the bigger catch. You have this guy who's a man boy, doesn't have the appropriate clothes to meet someone's parents mm-hmm. and orders lobster. <laughs> he orders lobster the first time he meets Lindsay's parents. Yes, WTF actually. Not the most friendly food to be eating no. when you meet one's parents for the first time. No. He seems a little bit out of touch that way, even though he's extremely earnest and mm. really good-hearted. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay just seems to have the whole package, except that she's a mild workaholic, which... Yeah, I don't fault her for that, because I feel like she is gunning for a promotion. Well, maybe that's something that we're supposed to take away from this movie. And, you know, I, I ended up working a lot during 2020 when we had nothing really else going on. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's like, there's a message there that's trying to equate, you know, working too much as a type of unhealthy obsession. Uh-huh. Yes, I would say it is. is that, it's is called that workaholism. Yes. Maybe the message didn't come through as as much as Yes. Have. Yeah, totally. I really like Lindsay as well. I think she's very likable. Uh, that whole bit about her friends asking her, like, where's he been? Why is he still on the market? I feel like that's a very relatable line of questioning as well. Like, I feel like that conversation has played out between me and my friends as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of crazies out there, so you, ne- you never know. You never know. But Robin does, she's a little aggro about it. She's like, there's gotta be a reason why he's still on the market. Who's your favorite character? I already talked about the overly honest girlfriends. Yes. So they're, they're actually my favorite characters outside of Lindsay. Mm-hmm. My Bronn pick, so Bronn of the Blackwater... Yes. From Game of Thrones. He's like this minor side character. I think the ticket scalper. (laughs) When Lindsay's trying to get into the game to convince Ben to not sell the tickets, she has to get tickets. Mm -hmm. And outside the game, in the eighth inning, or seventh inning, whatever, scalper's going to sell her two tickets for $300. A piece. A piece. It's the eighth inning. (laughs) She buys it from him. And then before she goes in... He's like, I'll buy the other one from you for 50 50 bucks. bucks. But the reason why I think he's a great character is I think he encapsulates ticket scalpers really accurately. And I I say this not because I have purchased sports tickets from scalpers, but because I purchased Carnegie Hall tickets from scalpers standing outside (laughs) of Carnegie Hall. And I have firsthand experience at how how skeezy they are. So I love it. Wait, let's back up a little bit. For those who don't understand why Bronn of the Blackwater from Game of Thrones is your favorite character, do you mind sharing why Bronn is your pick from Game of Thrones? No problem. Bronn is great because he's very clear about what he wants. He wants money and he wants women and he's willing to be a sellstore for that. So I feel like as a character, he's very transparent, which is why I like him in the first place. Mm -hmm. But he's also the comic relief. So the comic relief plus someone that you know where he stands all the time. Mm. That's why I enjoy the honesty of you, that character. Apparently, I think you like things very, very clear cut. You want to understand where people stand at all times. Yeah, I deal with enough complexity on a day-to-day basis that when I watch entertainment, I want people to wear their heart on their sleeves. Mm. Interesting. Ron of the Blackwater. Uh, my favorite character are Lindsay's parents, actually. I think they're so adorable. They're in the movie for like maybe five minutes total. I find them so incredibly endearing because they have been married for, I don't know, 
30 plus years, there's conflict between the two of them, but they both seem to just be like, they take it in stride. It's like they're sacrificing small things on a day-to-day basis. And I, I also just really appreciate that kind of depiction of things are not always rosy. We're not always happy all the time, but yet we, I don't know, not deal with it, I guess. Deal with it's kind of in a, a negative connotation, but it's just, yeah, it's just a part of uh, being in a committed relationship. Yeah, uh, those scenes were great too because, I don't know, those also felt like little sketches as well. Yeah, they were definitely comic relief. Like, don't talk in my backswing. Dad dying his hair like jet black, like so unnaturally. Uh, yeah, just really fun little moments that I really, really liked. Do you think the characters stay together? Yeah. Yeah. They, they've gone through... If you jump off the green monster... She gets arrested, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. And I think they both have come to grips with what they're willing to sacrifice. And Ben sacrificed the most important thing in his life for Lindsay, or was willing to. Mm -hmm. Lindsay acknowledges that and didn't let him. So Mm -hmm. it's like the biggest thing that could possibly get in the way of their relationship at this point um, has already happened. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm pulling for them. Yeah. So I know we've talked a little bit about the fact that you are a tennis fan, Mm -hmm. but... What would you say your biggest fanboy moments have been? What have you, I guess, to sacrifice the right word? What have you done to prove your your love for the sport or person? (laughs) (laughs) I think my biggest fanboy moments is is actually a reflection of how much you're willing to sacrifice for me. Um, I feel like Lindsay right now. (laughs) Absolutely. So the story is we, in 2018... We wanted to go. See, I, I sorry. I wanted to go see Roger Federer at Wimbledon because his career has been winding down, and you know it might be the last time. Yeah. He had just won the Australian Open earlier that year, mm-hmm. and I was like, he has a shot. He has a shot, and he's skipping the French to be fresh for Wimbledon. And so, for people who don't know how much tickets at Wimbledon cost, you will get a seat on Center Court for maybe a thousand dollars, one seat. And because you don't know which day people will be playing, if you want to be guaranteed to see Roger play, you have to at least buy two days. So if you went down that road, it would have easily cost $4,000 for the two of us to maybe see Roger Federer. Exactly. And so it's $4,000 is a lot. Yes. We didn't want to do that. So instead, we participated in something called the Q, which for Wimbledon, is pretty famous. It's got its own Twitter handle. It's a thing. It's like there's a whole website about multiple websites about it. Basically, you get into a line. The Brits are great at queuing. Yes, so good at it. They have so much process around this. They have volunteers. Essentially, you queue up at a neighboring golf course. Uh, sorry, park. Park Wimble- slash golf course. It's Wimbledon Park, I think. Yeah. It's just like lines and lines and lines and lines well it's one massive line but every line is to get into another line right it's like disney world except there's no ride it's a 24 hour line (laughs) it's it's more than 24 hours we we queued up on monday morning at 6 a.m for a tuesday match yeah we literally from our home in new york we packed a tent two sleeping bags and our other vacation necessities because there was another destination. We went to another country after Wimbledon because we're making, you know, two weeks out of this trip. But so, yeah, we had to... Brought all of our stuff with us. Like, it's not like... Yeah. Like, we were going to Iceland. It's not like we're going to another, like, comfortable place. Yeah. So, yes, we we camped out. It was hot and it was cold. Yep. Didn't shower. 
and we went to the All England Club. It's a club. It's a tennis club. It's mm-hmm. it's a pretty exclusive. Yeah, and uh, I don't know how how good we smelled that day. Probably not great. But we ended up getting baseline seats. Mm-hmm. We were sitting a few seats behind the Royal Box. Which, if we had been there the previous day, we wouldn't have seen Roger Federer, but we would have seen Prince William and... Kate Middleton. Kate Middleton. So that's how close... Like mm-hmm. Those were good seats. Those were good. And I want to thank you, from the bottom of my heart, for coming on that journey with, with me and participating. I just, like, as I guess the Lindsay in this scenario, like, I had zero context of what the process was and I was just like can't we just buy tickets and schedule it and you were like no I was like who does this all those people in the line that we met when I got (laughs) there I met people who had flown all over the world to wait in line and not even just for one day they would return after they had seen or got tickets for that day they would come back in line the next day to do it all over again yeah it was just very eye-opening for me because uh, I understand the love of like sports teams. I do. I get that because I think Americans, we are raised to like revere the Bulls and Michael Jordan and stuff like that. But I didn't grow up loving tennis and it's an individual player sport. So I feel like that kind of idolatry is a little dangerous. Oh, for sure. So I didn't really understand it. Like, how can you love one person at this sport so much? Our neighbors were from. They had also traveled very, very far to come see Roger play. Oh, they were they were from at least one group was from Austria. Yes, and it was weird because they were not Dominic team fans. They were not the Aust- Austrian player right, fan. Right. Yeah, it was just incredibly, incredibly eye opening for me. And I'm I know you're thanking me because yes, I do think it was very out of my comfort zone to camp in a foreign country and like have zero skin in the game. If we were to see, I was like, we better see Roger after all of this. Like, I don't even care, but we better see him. So there was a moment Hmm. where we haven't talked about the movie in about 10 minutes. Yeah. But there was a moment in the movie where Ben opens up his season tickets from the mail. And he's smelling them. He's like, this is what hope feels like or something. Clean slate. A new year. So tickets. (laughs) I didn't even have the tickets in my hand. I had... I had a ticket to wait in line for a different line to buy the ticket. Yes, and you were ecstatic. I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't stop smiling because until that point, we didn't know by waiting in line if we were in the first like 500 for the following day who would have the opportunity to buy center court tickets because everybody who would be going that next day would be trying to see Roger most likely. Mm-hmm. So we were higher than 500 there would be a chance that we wouldn't have tickets available. But we were like 420 or something, and I was like... (sighs) Relief. Yeah, I caught that on video. To see Frank so elated. Uh, It was really exciting for me to watch your dreams come true. So I was very, very happy in that moment for you. And for me, it was just like, wow, this is something incredibly out of my comfort zone and very fun and very new. But I'm glad we did it, because it's not happening again. (laughs) So the one Grand Slam we haven't been to, the Australian Open, you can buy tickets in advance. They do not cost $1,000 each. Great. Let's make it happen. Australian Open 2022. 2022. What are your thoughts on the music of this movie? Did anything stand out to you? I don't remember anything except Sweet Caroline. Yeah. 
I think I agree with you. There aren't any big music moments for me. Sweet Caroline was really fun. I, I found in terms of trivia that that song has apparently been played at Fenway since 1997. There's a Nick Drake song that I really like, Northern Sky. But other than that, I feel like it's a very fun and peppy kind of vibe, which goes along with the movie. Do you think this movie is... Okay, so I'm going to phrase this question a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. You and I are rating this movie on the higher end. Why don't you think this movie is a beloved one? I don't think people rate this very highly because, one, it's about Boston. Yeah. And for some reason, people don't love Boston. Um, I also think it's a very straightforward movie. Mm -hmm. So... It doesn't reach for greatness, mm-hmm. so its upside is kind of limited. No one's going to give this a nine, and so you kind of have a lot of people probably giving it ones, which pull it down, mm-hmm. but because it doesn't have the potential to be great, you don't have anything pulling it up. In terms of your reasons, I agree with you. I think the Red Sox thing probably brings it down. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm a little surprised because Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon, I think it's safe to say that they're A-list people, so I'm surprised that they're not bigger draws, and also... I feel like sports movies are always really fun to watch. This isn't a sports movie, though. It's not. You're right. Like, sports movies... Well, I feel like on a very baseline level, even though you're not a baseball fan, as we talked about, you can still understand the love for sport. Yes. I feel like it translates across sports. So I'm I'm surprised that there isn't more of a a thing for that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I I really think it comes down to the people giving it ones. Mm -hmm. The people who don't like the Boston Red Sox are going to give it ones. And the people who love the Boston Red Sox are going to give it a nine or a ten. And just the way that averages work out, like, there are going to be more people who strongly dislike the Boston Red Sox and are going to skew a lot of very, like, excessively low ratings. Mm -hmm. So IMDb doesn't show the distribution of... The ratings, but I would imagine that this movie is a very polarizing set of votes. Sure, from the jump. Yeah. Um, I did read a few reviews of this movie, and the critics seem to really like it. The New York Times, it wasn't a critic's pick, but they, they said it was a great movie. Um, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars. Oh, wow. That's, that's high. Yeah. Do you think this movie's aged well? There's two things that I, I don't think have aged uh, super well. Number mm-hmm. one is the early 2000s fashion. And then the second one is the homophobia in the anesthesiologist friend. It was mm-hmm. just a little bit weird and out of place. Yeah, agree. It did seem a little bit out of place and just no reason it needed to be included. Right, exactly. It's a very white movie too. Very white. Yeah. yeah, there's not a whole lot of diversity. I think in terms of like the background actors, fine, sure. But in terms of the main characters and even their friends, zero diversity. Okay, so let's talk some trivia here. I mentioned that this movie is based on a book written by Nick Hornby, who Nick Hornby, acclaimed British author, wrote about a boy, high fidelity. So this is his second book. It's semi-autobiographical. It was also made into a film in 1997 starring Colin Firth, which is about Arsenal. Um, I have not seen that movie, but I'm very eager to watch it. I know it's on Amazon Prime right now. I'm told that the book is exceptional. Oh, really? And if you like sports drama, I think you sh- you might want to read the book. Okay. And, uh, some of the cast members from the Summer Family that we're introduced to at the games are legit. They're, they're not actors. They're real people who are diehard Red Sox fans that were discovered from a documentary called Still We Believe, the Boston Red Sox movie. I mean, 
for like the family that they had at at the game. Yeah. I felt like if they weren't actors, they were great. I, I guess it's not hard to play that role because yeah, the Red Sox don't win, so they're just talking a lot about heartbreak and then they're being themselves, I That's guess. That's probably how they've been... Yeah, because at the time... Mm-hmm. They weren't winning. Yeah. Up until the very end. Uh, that's all the trivia I have, but let's wrap it up. Do you have any last takes or last thoughts you'd like to add? The one other thing that I'll add was there was a scene... I, I don't remember when. Ben and his friends are at the bar and they see... Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon and two other Red Sox having dinner. And they were getting angry and saying like, oh, how how could they just go out and have dinner like this mm. after such a brutal loss? And I think Ben makes this realization that they're taking it harder than the players are. Like, it's not healthy. And I think that realization was a really powerful moment for his character development. Um, I don't know why I chose to bring this up right now, but I mm-hmm. feel like that's also just good context anytime we we get too deep into something anything Mm -hmm. right there's a different perspective that you can look at to gain a broader view of you know where this fits within importance yeah totally i think up until that point they were just revering as one does the team as a whole but you see them outside of their element these athletes are literally just sitting and having dinner and it humanizes them Mm. I think Ben has this moment where he's like, they don't seem to be worked up about it. Why am I so worked up about it? And I I think it's healthy and good to take on different perspectives. My, I don't really have any new last takes, but I, I still really like this movie. And I've rewatched it many times. For me, it holds up and it just, it puts a smile on my face. And even though I don't like the Red Sox, I'm able to separate the two for some reason. Because I think I was there when that happened. Fair enough. Cool. Thank you so much, Frank. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. To all tuning in, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Romcom Weekly. Please follow us on Instagram at Romcom Weekly and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We would love to hear from you. What would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? And we'll chat with you again next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.